back to CCL's podcast, Lead With That, where we talk current events in pop culture to look at where leadership is happening and what's happening with leadership. Solar is officially the cheapest energy in history. According to the International Energy Agency, solar is 20 to 50% cheaper than traditional energy sources. And as solar becomes a profitable way to save our planet, it might seem to be the renewable energy of choice. However, the statistic of 20 to 50% cheaper was actually based on a calculus of companies building solar projects, not necessarily something that actually translates for consumers or even solar homeowners. All the same, with the new lowered cost of capital, solar's cost per megawatt has fallen almost completely below both gas and coal worldwide. So, we'll just go ahead and make solar the primary source of energy, right? Shut down the coal and gas factories and put panels on my roof. We did it. Or did we? I'm Ren Washington, one of the trainers here at the center, and as usual, I'm joined with my co-host and one of my training colleagues, Allison Barr. Allison, how you doing today? Happy Thanksgiving week. I'm I'm good. You know, just as you were speaking right there, you reminded me of a time when I was in high school and this very sweet high school friend of mine used to go door to door to try to sell green energy and, and how far we've come. You just reminded me of Bill. Good old Bill. Bill, what was Bill slinging? He was slinging light bulbs. Like, do you remember when light bulbs were, there was like, I don't remember the brand, but somehow they were more energy efficient and they lasted, you know, four years instead of uh, however long they last currently. But he was slinging, slinging light bulbs. That was his high school side, side hustle. That's funny. He's on, he's on the front wave of the uh, LED movement. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Did you ever have anyone come door to door for you trying to sell you some sort of environmental friendly product? Uh, Maybe an environmentally friendly product. I I sold knives once upon a time. Cutco. Do you ever sell Cutco knives? (laughs) No, no. But I know some people Uh, who did. Yep. Yeah, I bet. I feel like everyone does. I feel like if you're listening right now, there's a good chance you sold knives. But I mean, it was environmentally friendly insofar that the knives are supposed to be good forever and they would sharpen themselves so you wouldn't have to mine new metals. But I can't say that anyone has ever come by selling environmentally friendly wares. Yeah, I I mean, it got me thinking. We talked last week about solar and renewable energy and sustainability, and it got me thinking about all of the trends and all of the products that exist that are aiming to be more sustainable. And it was really interesting to read about solar energy and specifically the solar panels. And there's a lot of debate in the environmental world right now because solar panels are they're incredible in terms of being clean and renewable. And for the cost that you just mentioned, however, there's, of course, a few downsides as there's no perfect energy source. And it got me thinking about change and got me thinking about why people would be hesitant to go that route, why organizations might be hesitant to go that route. And it, it got me thinking about major change in organizations. There's always going to be some cost. However, ideally, in the long term, the benefits usually outweigh the risk. Well, it's interesting because I'm actually looking at some solar panels that I have right now. Now, uh, let's not get too heady about it. They're tiny panels for some strung lights that I did. And it's interesting. It's a, it's a power source, but it's also an ease thing. I don't have to turn the lights on or off. I guess I could get one with a timer. But when the sun goes down, the lights come on. And uh, it, it's it's funny for me to look at these panels and think about, look, I, I can harness solar <laughs> energy, too. And then, I mean, what does that look like for how we can harness movements in organizations, especially when we talk about change and solar and what this all means 
today. Do you have solar panels or do you use solar energy in your life? No, it's so interesting when we got off the the call last week after we were talking about it that evening I went on to Instagram as I do I like social media and a friend of mine up in she lives in the Vale Valley had posted that her and her husband just put solar panels on their you know on their home and they have such a high upfront cost and I think that's why a lot of people haven't gone that route yet because upfront their their cost their cost is high, but in the long term, you end up saving money. So no, we haven't gone that route just yet. In Colorado, it seems like a smart thing to do since we get so much sunshine. Well, I remember I used to work on the north side of town and in, in Colorado Springs and out by the Air Force Academy, there is a solar farm. There's this paneled area, this long swath where there's all this open space and and the panels shift as the sunlight moves, which, by the way, my tiny panels don't. They're, they're analog shifts. So I have to go out there and move them if I want them to catch the best sun throughout. But it was just an interesting idea. And, and you would think in a place that gets 300 days of sunlight uh, that why wouldn't you try to harness that? But maybe that's some of our conversation or that we get to have today around what's getting in the way of people taking advantage of seemingly – low-hanging fruit or, or easy things, especially as it relates to what we do and what stops leaders from succeeding in, in moving changes through an organization when it, the, the benefits seem obvious, mm. but maybe the, the upfront cost is prohibitive. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to know what you think. And of course, sometimes I think leaders and those who are selling a product even have have a struggle describing the long-term benefit. Uh, and with a thing like, with a product like solar panels, it seems easy from my perspective to get people bought into that product, right? You get them emotionally bought in, you're saving the environment, right? It's not that hard to convince people to invest in the, the world and the environment. However, when you start to address those small, maybe adjustments that might be needed, the cost, uh, the behavioral change, it starts to have some different responses. So I'm curious to know what you think about that. I, I couldn't help but smile because I might think that it is really hard to have people recognize uh, this world saving thing. And, and I guess I know that you have some info about how world saving is solar anyway. But, you know, when we were digging into this and having some reflections and I was thinking, what is the what does this represent for people who have to manage teams or lead changes? And and. I started digging around and got into this idea of present bias, this, this psychological notion that humans are much more likely to focus on the present for that immediate gratification or that, that present here and now experience of joy or happiness as opposed to looking forward. And even when they know that if they, they save or they don't give themselves some, some pleasure now, they could get even more later. But we just have a natural bias towards our present state. And, and so that's just one of the things I think that makes change and influence so hard is how do I tell you, Allison, change what you're doing today for something that you might not actually experience the benefits from? I mean, did you know the first solar panel was created in 1883. 
I did not. I, mean, I did not know. Yeah, that. a, a hundreds-year-old technology where people were looking at the sun and saying, "Wait a minute, this powers life on the planet. Could it power electricity?" Now, granted, the first panels were highly cost prohibitive and weren't producing that much energy. But for a science that has been around that long, it's curious about why people haven't adopted it and what are the reasons why and what is leadership's role in helping people adopt it? Yeah, it sounds like you're almost saying that you've got to convince people that there's something wrong right now or there's something prohibiting us from being as great as we could be now in order to get bought in because I'm so present to what's happening in this moment. Yeah, and even more than I I don't know if you can do that with people. <laughs> I I really wonder if if I'm ever going to move the dial or if I want to move and impact a change for long periods of time. How do I start with your Tuesday afternoon? You know, what are you going to do tomorrow that's going to benefit me? That's the question that has to be answered. And I think present bias really talks about that. And then when I look at solar energy and think about a science that's been around for over 100 years and now, just now, is becoming a viable idea. You know, it's, it's now cost effective to save our planet. Not cost effective, but you can actually make money. So that's how I can get people bought in. Hey, your pockets can be made thicker if you engage in solar. So come on board. Yeah, and that goes that goes on both sides too, right? The the person who is purchasing solar will save money in the long run. So you you could argue that on both sides of the coin that the, you know, the distributor is also making money, but you as the consumer will save money on the long run too. Well, do you have uh, I do you have a washer and dryer in your home, clothes washer and dryer? Not to get too personal. But. <laughs> I do, yes. Yeah? And when you bought it, did you read the uh, the wattage information on it that said, if you buy this, it might be more expensive now, but it'll save you in the long run for energy? No, I mean, when we bought our house, it was <laughs> it came with the house. Neither one of there us thought twice about it, to be honest. Right. It, that's. I think that's an interesting microcosm of our present bias. Mm. The idea of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, colloquialisms exist for a reason. And and when I'm looking at people, I'm saying, look, change. If you change, it'll benefit you. And, and people go, yeah, but change, change stinks. I don't like change. And it's so interesting when we work with clients and, and people that talk about this, I think it's the biggest false paradigm in the world. Uh, well, geez, one of the biggest <laughs> false paradigms in the world is people don't like change. Um, Allison, if I were to give you $1,000, no strings attached, right now, would you would you say yes? To you giving me $1,000? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. yes, I might ask you what the, uh, what the catch is. Right. Well, no strings attached. Okay. No strings attached at all. I, just money in your pocket. Yes, I would take that. Yes, you'd take that. And I have yet to meet someone who said no to me around that. And now if you think about it, is $1,000 more in your pocket a change? Is it a change? No, it's not. Yeah. It's not really. That's not a change in your life? You you already have $1,000 in your pocket? Well, I mean, it's a small change is what I mean. Like you are, you're putting money in my pocket, but I don't have to do anything differently. Oh, see, now that's an interesting thing. Maybe that's another topic around, do you have to change for that change? <laughs> 
But it isn't when I ask people that, I mean, if you have $1,000 more in five minutes than you did right now, that would be a change in your circumstances. And generally, when I talk to people, they that's change they can get behind. Correct. And, and it's not so much that people don't like change. What people don't like is change that they can't control or change that impacts them negatively. You know, people mm-hmm. are looking to minimize pain and maximize pleasure. Mm-hmm. Generally, that's a human prerogative. Now, we can talk about how that actually is made manifest in the things that we do every day, but it keeps getting me thinking about this idea of solar energy and what's the tension between if we have renewable energy that can keep your parents or rather your children's children alive and you can support generations to come, get on board. And I look at that and I see it's so far into the future that I can't really see it. Not nearly as far as what I can see in front of me. And it, and it makes me, it reminds me of the immunity to change research. Are you familiar with the immunity to change research? Uh, vaguely. I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting bit of work by Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy, where they were looking at this tension uh, between why can't people change? And there's this interesting piece of data that they were able to come upon. They were saying that seriously ill patients with heart issues, they've been told in order for you to stay alive, you got to change your diet, you got to exercise more, you got to stop smoking, what have you. I mean, people on the precipice of catastrophic health failure are told this, and only one out of seven people succeed in doing that. Mm. I mean, you're on the brink of disaster. All of the signs are pointing to you and it says, hey, change this behavior and you'll save your life. And only one in seven people are able to find success. And it's interesting because we as people, we we appreciate the change at a cognitive level. Like we see the value. I mean, when you look at the Exxon Valdez or when you look at uh, the Deepwater Horizon and you see oil pumping into the ocean, no one's going to stand there and look at that and say, well, that's great. You know, I, I'm excited for the birds and sea life who are going to be covered in oil. And and I understand that that's – no one's looking at that and going, yay, hooray. We understand that there's damage there, but there's there's something that holds us back from our old habits. And so the, the, the immunity change stuff says, obviously, if we cannot change even to say, uh, save our own lives, then we need to do a deeper approach than just a behavioral approach. And it's this idea of shifting mindsets, about digging into our own self-exploration to explore our own willingness to change, to identify our patterns through a new lens. Hmm. I mean, do you have any habits that you have yet to break in your life that you wish you could? I, I might be one of those outliers, Ren, who appreciates change. My, you know, my worst nightmare is to do the same thing every day. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I can think back to like habits of when I was in college, for example, you're not going to convince me to not go out. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to convince me that operating on little sleep is a bad idea until, you know, I start to see some horribly negative impacts from it. And then I, then I changed. Right. But, um, gosh, yeah, I think something that I'm trying to curb, I suppose a little bit right now is the caffeine intake. Oh yeah. I'm not changing that. (laughs) I I haven't, I have an immunity to that change. I am the coffee drinkers, coffee drinker. Yeah. 
well, it's funny. And you talk about until I see some kind of negative impact. And even that, I like data shows it. Even mm-hmm. that doesn't help people change. And so what's a bigger impact than using a renewable source, like the most powerful star that we can or that we're close to the solar energy that exists that we could harness and that that absolutely is renewable. And in the very worst case, even if the sun stops pumping out heat, the way that light travels, we're going to at least have heat for another eight minutes. So someone might look at that and go, well, maybe we can find a fix in eight minutes. And so it's just so interesting for me to think about as a leader, how do you how do you really get people to change when the writing's on the wall and no one's willing to read it? You know, it reminds me of this phrase that a few things are harder to see than the wall right in front of you. Hmm. And I think it speaks to this idea of we build the confines of our own world. Uh, we create these structures that that instead of pushing us forward, hold us back. And we don't realize what we're bumping into. And so solar power... First panel created in 1883, the first U.S. patents created five years later is just now becoming really important. And, that, and when I think about maybe eight years ago, uh, the, there was a push for solar energy and it was incredibly cost prohibitive. And we put our eggs in a few solar company buckets and it didn't really work. And now people point to that in, in an effort maybe to confirm their own biases and say, look, see, I told you it wouldn't work. Mm. It's not worth it now. And and now I, I, we realize that if I can convince you that you can make money today by saving the planet, that's the value proposition. Saving the planet is not enough of a value proposition, but giving you an opportunity to put more money in your bank account is the value proposition. I mean, what do you think? Does that hold water for you? I think it's both for me. I, I, I keep thinking about why I'm bought in. I'm already bought in. You wouldn't need to convince me. The reason that we haven't gone there is from a financial perspective, right? So part of that is why we haven't. And then the other part, I'm already bought in because my emotions are bought in. And how did my emotions get bought in? Mostly for me, it's because of the imagery. It's popular now. And I think about like Netflix, everything that's on Netflix right now, all of these documentaries about what's going to happen in 10 years if we don't start, it almost feels for me now that I'm reflecting on it as I've been scared a little bit into thinking bigger, into thinking about the future and hearing these messages about, do you want your niece to be in the kind of environment that you're in now where she can breathe clean air? And of course I do. So it almost has been messaged to me in a way where it's it's almost fear based. Hmm. What and, I, but you're bought you're bought in though. I oh yeah I'm I'm bought in that it's a good idea. Yes. How do we get the people who are bought in who aren't, <laughs> or, uh, like, who who don't think it's a good idea, who aren't already on the bandwagon? You know, I think probably there's not a whole lot of information that's that's been popularized yet, and I, I think. There's like, when I looked at this, I looked at a consumer report and I found this consumer report that was based in the United States, of course. So this is specific to the U.S. And part of the reasons that the few 
top few reasons that people haven't bought into it were one financial, we've already talked about that, right? So it's high upfront costs. And then the top two most frequently asked questions. Do you want to guess what, what one of them was? You sort of already alluded to it. About solar panel? Yeah. Uh, how much money is it going to save me and what's it going to do to my house? Like, yeah. how does it look? Exactly. So what's it going to yeah. do to my house? What <laughs> yeah. happens? What happens when they need to be replaced? And the third one is what happens at nighttime? And so I think there's just not enough information that's been popularized for people to be fully bought in. And then there's the cost, of course. But you already mentioned this before, too, you know, Solar panels, they have a high upfront cost. And then long-term scientists say that they are going to save everybody in the long run, whether it's financially or from an environmental perspective. However, some people argue that the glass in them, it's not recyclable. So there's one flaw. And then the manufacturing has some environmental impact. So there's there's another flaw. So it's almost that we have to com- convince people that the long-term impact outweighs the current risk. And again, there's no perfect in environmentally friendly, perfect way to source energy. So we're doing the best that we can right now. And I think that about businesses too, like they parallel, those reasons parallel common resistance behaviors that we experience and we see in organizational change as well. Yeah, that that, that makes me think of a few questions. I mean, I, I really want to hear more about the idea that there is no truly sustainable renewable source of energy and and but from a, a leadership perspective when we're doing that cost benefit analysis of the here and now and the then i i don't know if there's ever enough in my experiences and using solar as an example if there's ever enough information to future cast where you can convince someone who's not already convinced mm. How do you move an entrenched idea that it doesn't matter what happens in 30 years? In business, if we don't solve for this quarter, we won't be around next year. Right. I mean, we ex- we personally have experienced that very recently where we don't have the luxury to dream big. We got to dream now. Right. And And I think what normally happens when a change is initiated, whether it's in a response to crisis or it's, you know... I don't know, like one of the most common uh, changes in an organization might be an update in technology. Some There's some other like softer ones, leadership changes, culture changes. But right now, you know, you alluded to us being in a time of crisis. And what normally happens is that organizations neglect to consider that it's the, the transition that people are wary of. It's not the change itself necessarily. And we have to remember that it takes time to adjust to change and new ways of behaving. And solar panels, for example, take three months from installation to be fully running on solar power. So there's a transition there too. And it's that adjustment time. It's the adjustment time to major change in the workplace. And that that transition time is vital to people becoming bought in, so to speak. Yeah. The the cultural push for instant gratification. Right. I wasn't to say Western, and I know that it, I don't know if it's uniquely American, but it is certainly American. Like, give it to me now. <laughs> what do you mean, wait for three months? I, I just put the panels on. Shouldn't it be paying dividends today? What do you think? Well, I'm guilty. I'm certainly guilty of that. <laughs> <laughs> and if we look at the big picture, 
I think that we forget sometimes that employees at the workplace are human beings and we expect humans at the workplace to be a little bit more adaptable, if not more adaptable. And what science will tell us is that human behavior in the face of any change, it's predictable. It's it's always going to be predictable. We're hardwired to resist it. Uh, part, part of the brain, the amygdala, interprets change as a threat all, no matter what. So it's going to hmm. release that cortisol in response to stress and our Bodies are literally protecting us from change unless we have information up front. So in the face of change, humans are also at risk of cognitive dissonance. And when our actions are misaligned with our values, we resist, right? So I think there's good news for organizations trying to implement change. If we can address both the skills needed for the transition, not not the change, but the transition and what it's going to take to sustain it and also add on top of that the value or the why behind the change, we can get ahead of those uh, stress hormones, the cognitive dissonance and get ahead of those responses. So so what do you think, Ren? If we were to tell you all of the information that you could possibly need to adjust to a major transition at the workplace and why we're doing it in the first place, do you think you would adjust a little bit better? No. Why not? I... So I love your change and transition idea, and I think it's it's one of those things where we talk to the leaders, and and I think it's pretty impactful. Like the change is easy, transition is hard. And I think change is a memo, change mm-hmm. is the note from the CEO saying we're doing this, and then you got to deal with it. And, and my favorite metaphor for that is a marriage and a wedding. A wedding is the change, marriage is the transition. And imagine if people put all the time and effort that they do planning their wedding, that same planning and thoughtfulness into their marriages. I mean, would marriages be more successful? Hmm. I don't know. But but back to your question, if you gave me all the information up front, would I be that much more apt or, or, or likely to stick with the transition? And I think two things, paralysis by analysis and what does then have to do with my now? And so sometimes I know people see the whole, I worked with this woman once and she was taught, we were having a conversation about leadership communication. And she said, uh, it's hard for me to take the first step if I can't see the whole stairwell. Mm. And I thought, wow, cool, cool, cool metaphor for vision. If I can't see where we're ending, how do I take the first step? But for me, I started stewing on it, internalizing. And I thought, you know, personally for me though, sometimes it's hard for me to take the first step when I can see the whole stairwell. I look at the whole stairwell and I go, oh my gosh, that's a lot of steps to take. Like, that's a really long journey. What if I just didn't do the journey and I stood right here? At least I'd be cozy. At least I'd know what I have in for me. So how do you subvert me? Like, how do you move my tendencies? And I do this for a living. Right, which proves which proves the point even further that humans are predictable, right? There's always going to be resistance to change. And depending on the organization, you have to provide enough data, enough information to the general response, right? While leaving room for the people who are going to have a harder time. I even think back to moving offices, you know, and my this was prior to CCL. I remember my boss saying, we're moving offices. And when I tell you that it took six weeks or more for a team of 12 to be on board with that, I I am telling you the truth, right? Because people didn't understand why. The why wasn't provided for us. And I think you can get ahead of that predictable response to change by sharing more information than we think we should. 
and by sharing that purposeful and thoughtful why behind it. People need to know. Humans need to understand their role in change and believe that it's worthwhile for them to play a part. So while, Ren, your response might be different to mine, I think by providing a broad brush of information and then saying, you know, should anyone want to dive deeper into these, here are my office hours. <laughs> Let's sit down and do it. It's that whole concept of uh, slowing down to speed up, which is you know, sort of overplayed. But if you really think about it, how much time will you save on the back end if you address those conversations up front and have a trusting enough work environment that you can say, like, I'm not comfortable with this and here's why, and have a dialogue about it? Well, I, I can firsthand tell you that when I was in CCL and and we were still working in person before the COVIDs, as it were, I uh, I was they asked, hey, Ren, do you want to move offices? <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> and to your point, maybe there wasn't enough why, but I was apprehensive for whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. And I didn't give it the time or energy to dig into the psychology of why I didn't want to move. I just knew I didn't want to move. Right. And I'm, I'm wondering, though, and sometimes we're not given a choice, right? Mm -hmm. So had yeah. it been framed different, like, Ren, we're, we're doing, we're doing a, like a reorganization of people's offices, you're moving. You're moving. Then what? Your then I wonder what your response would have been. There's this. There was lo a long-held rumor that I've only been able to partially validate <laughs> that most of the clean energy patents of cheap, cost-effective, sustainable, and renewable energy are are currently held in the hands of big, unsustainable organizations. Sustainables that rely on fossil fuels, mm -hmm. that rely on natural gas, that there, the idea that there's no money in the cure, there's just money in providing solutions for the symptom. And so I think you bring up an interesting point as I reflect on my earlier thought around people don't like change is not really the case. It's people like change that benefits them. And that enables them an opportunity to continue to do things they enjoy, that they value, or that moves them from a negative situation. And so how do I tell someone that your, your life of comfort and ease is actually uncomfortable for people that don't even exist anymore? Is there an answer to that question? Is the why enough to convince me that my children's children are going to benefit for or from my decisions today? even if I can't even fathom them? Yeah, I think if you're talking about the solar, if we're going back to solar, gosh, you get me thinking about marketing and marketing techniques, right? And mm -hmm. modern day marketing right now says to appeal to people's emotions. It appeals to people's emotions, knowing that some of us will have different responses. There are gonna people who won't buy into it, but the vast majority of people are run by their emotions. We make decisions based off of how we feel. And I do think there's value in approaching a major change from that perspective. Not, And I'm not saying, Ren, how do you feel? Let's talk about how you feel. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is limiting or getting ahead of inevitable obstacles and frustrations that if we don't, we'll get even bigger and more magnified in the long run, mm -hmm. you know? So with solar, what will happen in the long run if we don't start going this route? And 
I, I don't have children and I don't plan on having children, but you're still going to get me if you start to talk about little kids. <laughs> you will mm -hmm. in the same way that in the workplace, because I value my work, uh, you know, if, if we don't get ahead of these changes, the obstacles will get much bigger and the frustrations in your work will be harder in the long run. While that doesn't sound emotional, it is because it's stressful. Obstacles are stressful, right? Mm -hmm. So most people will have a different emotional response to change. But the point is you will have an emotional response. That's inevitable. Your, your comment about marketing makes me think of diamonds, mm. which by – by most considerations, diamonds are actually semi-precious at best. Uh, once before, when diamonds were rare, uh, they were considered a precious stone. But now diamonds really aren't that rare. Mm. But they've maintained an image of their precious nature because of concerted and focused energies of two organizations. Uh, diamonds have a very interesting history, but part of it is this concerted effort to convince primarily Americans for many generations, that diamonds were the best and only way mm. to articulate your undying love for someone. Yep. And so then I think about, well, solar needs a better marketing team. <laughs> yes. I mean, because, <laughs> I mean, we're American muscle. We like cars that go fast and make loud, loud noises. There was a movie with Adam Sandler, no, no, with Vince Vaughn and Kevin James. I can't... I, I can't remember the title. Maybe it's called The Affair or something or something like that. But anyway, the the characters were – they were making a an engine, an electric engine that would give the same combustion sound as traditional combustion engines. Like that roar you hear when you step on a V8, that grumble. And they were trying to make that sound happen for electric cars as opposed to that soft hum you hear when an electric car drives past you. They wanted to capture that. And I think it comes to that idea of how can you help people see themselves in the here and now in the future that they're going to create. And so maybe the solar is how can I spice it up to let people know that if you do this, your life won't change. Maybe that's what goes back to the earlier thing that I said, let me give you $1,000. Is that change? And you go, well, no, I didn't have to change. Mm, yep. And so I wonder, is, is that the sweet spot? How can I get you to change without having to change? Is that possible? Yeah. And I, I think it's, well, I don't think it's possible, but I think you can nourish an environment. If we take it back to the organization, right? You can nourish an environment in which transitions become smoother. And you can do that in a couple of different ways. I'm talking about the workplace right now, but leaders can do this by taking time to really provide a thoughtful and descriptive and detailed why. Why are we doing this? When people lack that information, like I mentioned before, they're, they're, they, they risk being in cognitive dissonance. They're automatically stressed. They might not even know it. And when we don't explain why it's worthwhile for people to play a part in that change, we risk turnover. There's a lot of risk. We risk decreased performance because people are under stress. We actually lose money as a company if we don't fully prepare people. So contributions in change need to make sense to people at the individual level. And from a, you know, like a solar level, I think there's not enough thoughtful and detailed descriptive why in marketing. I think you're right. I think I haven't seen any powerful marketing. I actually didn't even know that it is the most affordable right now until you mentioned that, um, you know, when we were talking last week, I didn't know that. So mm -hmm. if you're appealing to people's pocketbooks, 
why are we not saying that? Right. And like, we're also appealing to people's emotions. Why is there not a more charged vision out there? I'm not sure. I'm not in that business, but I think if there, if there was, it would help with that transition to get ahead of those inevitable obstacles and frustrations that come with a major change. Yeah. I I think about the war chest that's made available to those, the fossil fuel energy. I I don't know. Do you remember a little bit ago, Exxon was pushing their chlorophyll or something like that, their alternative energy initiative where they're using uh, algae is the new frontier of energy. And it's interesting when I think about the branding of the energy division. And for those of you who can't see me, I'm air quoting the energy. You know, we work with a lot of energy companies. And what I really mean is I don't mean solar energy. I don't mean wind energy. I mean fossil fuels. It's the oil and gas industry, but they've done a good job of changing the focus. And so zooming back a little bit and focusing back on solar is now that we can make money doing it, maybe there'll be enough money in that to change mindsets. Or maybe to fund a campaign that successfully articulates the why. I'd be so curious to hear from our viewers because you're thinking, or our listeners rather, you're you're getting me to think about two things, which is people's money, which can be very emotionally charged, right? And purpose in the same conversation. And so I do believe though, when people can bring their work or the, or the change back to a purpose, they're more likely to buy in. They're more more likely to overcome obstacles and sustain the change. So like where I go is like sustaining change. So many organizations will initiate a change and it's so hard to sustain it. And I think being transparent about the transition ahead of time and acknowledging that it's going to come with some obstacles will support in, uh, you know, people buying into and getting answers to those questions ahead of time that would otherwise cause some stress and resistance. And if we consider Simon Sinek's point of view, which is people are going to buy into why you do it versus what you do. And his argument is that's that why is going to sustain organizational change or will sustain the product, so to speak. Apple's a good example. And I, I, I personally think providing more information than you think is needed for people and providing the why is going to give them a glimpse into the vision, right, that you mentioned, like what it's going to look like if when the change is embraced and executed, if we buy into that, here's what it's going to look like. Giving people something to look forward to in that why and in that vision. So yeah, I, I you brought up Apple as well, which is an expensive product, right? Just like a solar, the solar panels are expensive um, from the get go, and I've had my my Mac for gosh, I think I bought it in two thousand eleven, and I still haven't. It's still running well, right? So hmm. it's not it's a different conversation because it's not environmentally friendly necessarily. But the point is, the why behind that product. The why that I bought into was in the long run, it's going to cost me so much less because it's not going to have bugs. It's not going to get viruses knocking on wood. It hasn't. And so by the same token, solar panels in the long run save us more. So they're an investment. And I think in organizations, we need to do the same thing, present them as an an investment, an investment to our vision, an investment to our future. And then people won't have to guess, right? They're going to know that they have something to look forward to and that it might come with some obstacles, but in the long run, it's going to save them. 
Yeah, that, and maybe that's uh, for our other, our next podcast when we get to dig into the the giant Apple machine. But I, I appreciate that perspective, and it makes me think as a major takeaway for someone who's in a position to lead teams or to 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 lead change. Looking at solar and and its example and exploring things like that, it it brings me back to this idea again that present bias is, and it's not something that needs to be ignored nor run away from. I think a part of the issue that I said in the immunity to change is a solution to changing mindsets is exploring current current patterns and being willing to engage in that self-inquiry. And so if I'm leading change, I promise it's not as fatalist as it sounds. I, I do believe that you can move the dial. I mean, you can change small habits to make a big difference. And I, I really believe if you start changing the way you do things and the people around you, then it can start to echo through. And and so like, honoring present bias and having people explore what is your bias to the present moments and why, that's how you can leverage that for success. Exploring why people, back to your why, about what that is that they like in their present bias is the opportunity to say, okay, if in this future change, you'll get this. What is your present bias around traditional energy? Well, uh, my father works in a coal plant. I've got a Dodge Charger out in the driveway, and I love my uh, gas-burning stove. Well, then how can I take that and say you can get some of those same things or something like it from solar? And I think that kind of tackling of of any change or finding success and influence using that form might be the sweet spot for digging in. Yeah, that's interesting. As I ref- I reflect on being in the workplace for however many years I've been working, I don't know that I've ever been asked one time just up front like that, what's your resistant? What's your bias? Let's just talk about it and get ahead of it. So I love that. That's a great, that's a great leadership lesson to share. And if I'm if I'm considering one takeaway for our listeners too, for a leader who's trying to initiate and sustain change, the more information that you provide, the better, because people need to have a why. People scientifically and biologically need to have a why. So if you can provide the vision and the purpose for what it's going to look like when that change is embraced and executed, you'll give people something to look forward to. And then when there are obstacles, because that's inevitable, they will believe that they're working towards a purpose instead of working willy-nilly for a change that isn't going to impact anyone. So it's it's taking out the guessing game and giving them something to look forward to. Perfect. So, Ren, again, I feel like you and I could talk for hours about this, and now I have a lot to think about. So as always, I, I thank you for the insightful dialogue, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And if y'all want to learn more about navigating change in the workplace, you can find our many, many tools posted on LinkedIn. And as always, you can find this po- podcast and the rest of our Leadership Lessons on the Ground podcast at ccl.org. Have a great rest of your day. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Ren. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.